0: Mark chapter 9, verses 43 to 50, I would put these words into what I might uh, call the hard sayings of Jesus. Hard in the sense of difficulty to understand. What are they really, what's Jesus saying here? What does he mean? And difficulty in doing. This would make my top 10. Here's what Jesus says, Mark 9, beginning at verse 43. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where there are worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone, Jesus says, will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace with each other. This is the gospel of the Lord. It accents the flavor of a hamburger and honestly makes any vegetable taste better. We're most familiar with salt for its use in the kitchen. But did you know that salt has all kinds of other uses? I mean, you can use salt to whiten your teeth. You can use salt to drive away ants. I used salt last week to try to kill weeds in my yard. In the history of the world, salt was actually used as currency. And so in the Roman Empire, they gave salt rations to the soldiers as pay. And that actually developed into our English word, S-A-L, to receive payment for work. S-A-L-A-R-Y, salary. Yeah. Salt isn't just for dinner. Jesus says here, have salt among yourselves. Uh, Right? So obviously he's not talking about sprinkling some white granules on you so that you taste better if someone licks you. (laughs) You know? This is Jesus saying, the spiritual life that I give you is going to season you and it's going to change you so that your life right now is less bland and more beneficial. There. I I said it. But let's talk more about that. We can't stop there right. We join Jesus today in a period of his ministry that we call the withdrawals, right? So for about two years, Jesus has been publicly preaching, publicly performing miracles, publicly telling parables, and about two years of the first part of his ministry, and now at this point, he withdraws from the crowds, and he takes his disciples, and he brings us along too and he finds a quiet place where he can talk more intimately with us. Where where we can plunge into a deeper understanding of his saving work in our lives. Where Jesus can stretch our vision more and more about the God-given potential that each of us and our church has to make a difference in this world. That's where we are, right here, right now with Jesus. He's talking about salt. Some of you old folks might remember this. Before there was hydrogen peroxide and neosporin that you would put into a wound, a doctor would rub into the wound salt so that it wouldn't become infected. Ouch. Yeah, you ever like have a hangnail or, or have a uh, paper cut on your finger, and then dig your hand into a bag of potato chips? Ow! It stings. Yes. Salt. Salt is a, a a disinfectant that can make the difference between health and infection, even death. So, ouch that stings how much pain would you be willing to endure to save your life would you move your family away from all your friends and all your other family move your family to Hong Kong as part of the witness protection program to save your life would you give up the pleasure of an unhealthy habit Would you allow a surgeon to cut off a portion of your large intestine, which is cancerous? Or your stomach, which is cancerous? Or your breasts? You know, there's people who have done that or are doing that, and we think of those people. I'm thinking of some of them right now. And we admire those people. And we can't help but think, I wonder if I could do that too. And conclude, I think most of us would say, I think I could. I think I could do that if I had to. Those are the key words. If I had to. So here's a question. Do you have to be fully committed to Jesus? Do you have to trust everything that Jesus says? Do you have to do everything that Jesus commands you to do? Do you have to eradicate every sin out of your life? Do you have to follow Jesus everywhere where he beckons you to go in your callings in this life? Do you have to? That's my question. Now, here's how he calls us. Jesus says, forgive. And we think, yeah, I tried that, and they hurt me again, so... And Jesus says, give away your stuff! Life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Give it. Stop piling up. Stop accumulating. Stop upgrading. Give it away because you don't own it. It owns you. And we say, you know, it's my money and I have the right to do what I want with it. And besides, God, I give you enough just to keep you off my back, all right? Jesus says, love. Love. And not just your cute kiddos and your hot girlfriend. Pray for God's richest blessings on people who disagree with you. And find a way to do good to those who are different than you. And we say, Jesus, you don't understand how crooked or crazy those people are. Jesus says, Don't worry. Do the birds look worried? Do the flowers look worried? And we say, yeah, Jesus, I know you're the Son of God, I know you lived on this earth, but you, you didn't have bills to pay, and you didn't have kids who need braces, and you didn't have school loans chasing you for decades. So do, you, do we have to be fully committed to Jesus? It's, it's something we, in our inner instincts, resist. Here's something I read in my my devotional, my spiritual reading this week, and it really applies here. Here's what it says about being fully committed to Jesus. At every point, we want to say, a nice idea, Jesus, but life doesn't work like that. And he responds, I know your life doesn't work like that, but mine does. And if my life and your life don't match up, who has the problem?" From Mark chapter 9, Jesus. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. The Greek word here for unquenchable, for it never goes out, the Greek word here for that is asbestos. It burns, but never burns up. It cannot burn up. It, it's unquenchable. That's the fire that Jesus is talking about, the fire of hell. It keeps consuming and consuming. It's burning, it's hot, but it never totally destroys. Now, this fire is not because someone missed church a couple times. And this fire is not because someone needs to upgrade to the Apple XS Max iPhone. And this is not, fires of hell aren't, aren't because someone's worried about the company merger or Making it to retirement. But let me tell you what they are for. Let Jesus tell us what they are for. Here's what they're for they're for our conditional commitment to Jesus. Therefore, uh those things that I described, like iPhones, and uh, therefore the times when we find ourselves committed to those things, and when, when we find ourselves so committed to those, so committed to things, so committed to people we need, to things we can control, that we can buy, that we can store on our shelves, to titles that we can have, to, to freedom and pleasure to do what we want to do, so committed to those things that they consume us. And we're, we're more religious about them than we are about Jesus. And we say thanks, God, you've given me these blessings. I love these things. And, and Jesus, you can come along for the ride. And Jesus says, absolutely not. Jesus refuses to be the second Savior in your life. And a seminary professor who would, I always put it this way, he would say, men, he's talking to, you know, young guys just out of college who aren't flawless. men, God will put up with a lot of things in your life, but second place is not one of them. And those words ring in my ear and echo in my heart and mean more to me when I read words of the Bible like this. There's a fire on the way. And it's universal. And it's unquenchable. And it's unavoidable for anyone who needs the good life and not the better life that Jesus gives. Did you know that uh, gargling with salt water can help you with a sore throat? You might you have known that. I've, my mom had me do that. I still do that today. Gargling with salt water helps you with a sore throat. Or, in ancient times, if, uh, if a king defeated his enemy, one of the ways that, that the king would make that enemy pay, besides burning the city, It would be spreading salt all around in the city and in any of the fields and gardens where they would try to grow things. There's even mention of this in the Bible. One of the kings in the Bible did this after war. You know why? Salt destroys. What's actually technically, chemically speaking here, is that salt actually has a chemical reaction that dries up the membrane, the outer membrane, of bacteria or of, uh, and there's good bacteria and bad bacteria, right? And so that's why salt can help with the sore throat. The, that bacteria, because its outer membranes are destroyed, can't live and can't reproduce. That's what makes salt a disinfectant. Its ability to kill, to destroy, and at the right time, in the right way, in the right method. Salt destroys. No life, no growth, no hope, salt kills then why does Jesus say it gives us a better life? I'm going to give you two Bible verses that are going to just wow you and clarify this for you. I hope they do like they did for me. Here's, here's one of them. This, I found this for you. I did my due diligence for you paying me to prepare a sermon this week. And I, I, I looked in the Bible. Where does salt appear? And how, and how can it explain this? And I found this fine print footnote in like the deepest of Hebrew buried in the Old Testament. You've never read it before. And here it is for the first time. I didn't work that hard. It was actually pretty easy. But uh, here it is from Leviticus 2.13. So this is a, a footprint note in God's instructions for the Old Testament believers giving sacrifices. And God says, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. Huh. This chapter of the Bible in Leviticus, it reads like a a recipe. Or God says, this is how I want you to bring the offerings. I need you to use, use very fine flour, no honey, no yeast, And lots of salt, like lots of salt, like season everything with salt and fire too. And don't just singe it, don't just scorch it. I need you to consume it with that fire. So lots of salt, lots of fire. Are you getting this? How, How salt and fire are coming together? They destroy Fire destroys. Salt destroys. God says, I want you to take this offering that you're bringing, this, this loaf of bread, this sack of grain, I want you to bring it and salt it and fire it and kill it and destroy it and it's totally gone. And it pleases me. Because that salt in the... In the off. Well, let me, let me read another verse. Salt, fire, coming together total consumption, destroying, and pleasing God. Here's a New Testament verse, Ephesians 5 verse 2. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I asked you before if you have to be fully committed to Jesus. Um, I kind of tricked you because I don't I don't want you to an- I don't want people to answer that question before answering this question first. So I should have I should have put this question earlier, but I wanted you to hang in there a while. So here's the question that you should really answer before answering the question do you have to be fully committed to Jesus? Is does Jesus have to be fully committed to you? Does Jesus have to keep every one of his promises that he has made? Does does Jesus' guidance for you that he gives you in the scripture, does it always have to be flawless and perfect? The wisdom that he shares with you, does it have to be perfect? Does he have to listen to and answer every prayer? Does he have to provide for you all of life's daily critical necessities? When the Bible answers all those questions, it takes us to one place. It takes us to the cross. How do you know that Jesus loves you? How do you know that he's all in? How do you know that that Jesus is consumed by his love for you? How do you know? Here's how you know the salty sweat that squeezes out of his pores when he's suffering for you stings his open wounds like god the father is rubbing salt in them that's how you know how you know jesus is it loves you and he's he's head over heels in love for you and he'll never leave you or forsake you how do you know that, that Jesus endured the consuming fires of hell when he suffered on the cross, the curse of sin. It didn't just singe him. It didn't just scorch him. It consumed him. He died. He, all in. And he didn't stop a breath short of giving his life for you. That's how you know. How do you know Jesus is is fully in, fully loves you, is his unconditional commitment to God's way of salvation that required his sacrifice. Jesus is unconditionally committed to it, and that that forgives our half-heartedness, our conditional commitment to God's word, to God's church, to God's people, to God's ways. And my half-heartedness is wiped clean and replaced by the full heart, the full consumption, the full death, killing all of my sins of Jesus. Does, does Jesus have to be fully committed to you? Yes. Yeah, he has to be. Because that's who he is. Do you have to be fully committed to Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's who he has made you to be. In ancient times, uh, here's another use of salt. It, remember, I told you it, it was currency. They used it as currency. So travelers, especially traders, would, would travel with a pouch of salt on them, literally, like granularized salt. And then if, if, I make an, if I'm a traveler trader and you're a traveler and trader and I make an agreement with you, what we each do is we reach in our pouch of salt, we grab a pinch of salt, and I put mine in your p- pouch of salt and you put your pinch in my pouch of salt. And what that is saying is this. If I ever go back on this agreement with you, I have to go into your pouch of salt and find every granule of my salt that I put in your salt. I have to find it and take it back. And if I can't do that, then I guess I can't go back on my agreement. It, right? That exchange of salt was saying this is something permanent and a promise that we're never going to go back on. You getting this? Why, why God in the Old Testament says this is the salt of the covenant Of your God. God is all in. God is totally consumed. His His promises are permanent. Jesus is fully committed and devoted to you, and he he get this salt right. You and Jesus exchange salt with each other, and you say, "I I'm in too. I am in too." You are, you are Jesus' must. When Jesus, and he said a lot of this during the withdrawals and even on his journey to Jerusalem, multiple times Jesus would say, I must go to Jerusalem to suffer and die and rise again. You are Jesus' must. You are his must. Make him yours too. I'm going to read a little more. From the, uh, from the book that I was reading uh, devotionally this week. It's, it's really a really good book. It's called 321, The Story of God, the World, and You by Glenn Scrivener. Okay? And uh, he has a really good quote in here about being fully committed. Here's what he says. What Jesus tells us to do, being fully committed, he embodies in himself Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, give yourself away. Jesus urges us to ignore the constraints that frame our vision of life. He wants uh, wants to give, uh, wants us to give as though unconfined by wealth, health, danger or death, to live without slavery to worry, greed, lust or pride. The way of Jesus means not holding back not shutting down, not clinging on. He exhorts us to be the person with nothing to lose, nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to fear. Jesus never tries to meet us halfway. End of quote. Nothing to prove. Don't need to. Jesus loves me. Nothing to hide. Don't need to. Jesus loves me. Nothing to fear. Don't need to. Jesus loves me. Nothing to need. Don't need to. Jesus loves me. That is freedom, my friends that doesn't cling on, that doesn't shrink back, that isn't afraid, that walks on water, that conquers giants, that goes on mission for the Lord. I want to tell you about two friends that I made in a previous church that I served. Their names are Steve and Troy. And uh, critical to the story is that they're both blind. Steve and Troy are blind. And uh, I was a pastor. And uh, the other staff warned me about this, and it happened. Steve called me up and asked me to take him to a baseball game. Okay. So I picked him up and Steve's, uh, Steve's a Chicago Cubs fan, I'm so sorry. Um, but we went to a Milwaukee Brewers game, and uh, I picked him up, and uh, as, as I'm leading him, you know, by the arm, and we're shuffling through the crowd, I notice he brought his baseball glove, too. Okay, first of all, taking a blind guy to a baseball game seems a bit ridiculous. Secondly, wh- what's the glove for, dude? Ball's going to hit you on the, bonk you on the head before you even know what happens, right? That was one of my favorite baseball experiences ever in my life. Because Steve knew baseball just an avid fan of the sport growing up listening to it on the radio Steve knew baseball he knew baseball strategy he knew what pitch should be pitched given the game context he knew baseball and he gave me play-by-play-by-play by play by play, pitch by pitch commentary of the game that knew way more about baseball and what was happening than I did as a guy who could see literally play-by-play play, based on the sound The the timing of the pitch, right? He's just now totally focused and tuned into this. The sound of the bat, how it hits the glove, the timing from the bat to which glove it hits, the sound of the crowd. I mean, there's 49 other data points that Steve was taking in without his eyes that made him able to tell me exactly what was going on in that game. And here I wondered about a blind guy going to a baseball game. Give me a break. Troy is also blind. Uh, Troy would show up at our church when it was his Sunday to participate in worship. And he'd be the, the first one there. He'd arrive. He'd get out of the taxi. And he'd be carrying his guitar and his amp. And uh, had a few cords. We had a we had a bunch of uh, like like this. Maybe no, not as many as this. But we had cords um, that needed to be plugged in. Steve would sh- or uh, Troy would show up, and you know I'd of course say, well, the blind guy is here. I guess he needs help making sure that cord A goes into plug A, and uh, I'd try I'd mess it up. And he'd say, Pastor, that's fine. Just go get ready for your sermon. And the blind guy would plug in the cords. The blind guy would get set up. And the blind guy would lead us in worship with some of the best guitar playing I'd ever heard. His hair was messy once in a while, but we didn't care. He led us in worship. Do you, do you get this? These two blind guys, their, their, their disability was not a handicap. Their disability really wasn't a disability. it was a super ability. It That made them better. It made Steve a better baseball commentator, and it made Troy a better for the people of God, for our church. Don't be afraid, okay? Don't be afraid of what you need to lose. Don't be afraid of, of maybe what, something that God takes away even. Don't be afraid. That's not a loss in Jesus' own words. He just said it in Mark chapter 9. And it's not just good. He says the word better. Jesus knows it is better. So don't be afraid. Jesus says, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. You have better peace in your life, in your relationship with others, when you're not afraid for what Jesus might take away. Because it will make you better. You have better ability to make a difference in this world, in your callings that God has given you. Son, daughter, uh, pastor, wife, uh, baseball player, grandpa, grandma, student, business owner, cook, student. You have better ability to do that and to relate with the people around you when you're not afraid of what you might lose, what Jesus might take away, and of living his life, the salted life. That kills and destroys and consumes what is not needed and gives life and growth and peace to you and to the people around you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Great God and Lord, you sent your own Son, Jesus Christ, at an expense to you, not to us, as a sacrifice for you, not for us. We praise you for the the total destruction and consumption of the curse of sin that Jesus endured for us at at a price that cost him dearly, like rubbing salt in his wounds. We praise you for these words where he challenges our worldliness, our sinful hearts, and he challenges us not just with commands, but with great, precious, active promises. Help us, Father, to listen to these words of your Son, our Savior, to take them to heart, to be less conditionally committed to you and to the Christian life and even to church and to our families, and to be all in, to be totally consumed by your love for us because you are head over heels in love with us first salt us god and help us to live in peace with you and with everyone amen